Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, here we are again. Yes, here we are again. We sat down to record this episode uh, a few times, and we just couldn't get it quite right, could we, Buddy? No, we have been plagued by technical issues, uh, not to mention we've had a few uh, just just bad segments of this episode that we wanted to redo because uh, we, we actually got a few things wrong on the first go around. Yeah, we got uh, a couple of our facts wrong and a couple of our um, couple of our statements wrong, and we wanted to make sure that we give you guys the best and most accurate uh, version of this that we could. So after uh, after all this time, and thank you all for waiting, we are back. We are here with our episode about fandom interactions and rainbow capitalism. This is a really complicated episode with a lot happening in it uh and i guess what kind of sparked it was this idea that the fandom of theme parks specifically we're going to be talking about disneyland um interacts with the places that they are for in really interesting ways and perhaps a clearer way to say that is wow there's a lot of different ways to be a fan of disneyland <laughs> there are so many infinite different ways to be a fan of disney uh we have casual fans we have food fans which we've talked about in the past there are uh costuming fans and as we will discuss here specific um groups of people who choose to express their fandom in very very specific ways so i'm really excited to talk about this with you buddy yeah uh this is gonna be a great episode so let's jump right into maybe one of the uh, the most famous like groups of fans at Disneyland that that Disney recognizes but has sort of an interesting relationship with. Let's first talk about Dapper Day. So Dapper Day are there are two different Dapper Days, one in fall and one in spring, where uh, people and fans of Disneyland who are also interested in things like vintage costuming or um, uh, retro hair and makeup techniques, things like that. They all meet up at Disneyland for a for an event. And it's not just a let's all go to Disneyland dressed up pretty event. There's a convention hall um, setup where they where independent sellers will uh, will have their own merchandise and their private vendors with music and dancing. And it's just, it's a whole, it's a park-wide event, not just in the park, but also all the way down downtown Disney into the Disneyland hotels. It is a, it is a huge thing. And one of our uh, friends of the pod, Lizzie Lee, has uh, attended Dapper Day every year, twice a year for the last several years. And she has some thoughts about the event. Hi, Buddy and Alice. This is Liz checking in from uh, Dapper Day at Disneyland. Um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Disneyland. I'm really excited to be here on one of my all-time favorite weekends. Um, for you and your fans, if you're not already aware of what Dapper Day is, it is retro days at Disneyland where everyone dresses up in outfits between like 1920s all the way up through like the 60s, 70s. I think that's about as late as it goes typically. Um, 
This weekend I am here with two of my best friends and we are dressed up today in particular as uh, rides. Um, I'm doing a 1940s Indiana Jones theme. Um, we've got Callan who's doing like a 1960s Pirates of the Caribbean inspired thing. And then Molly is doing kind of a Tiki Room Lilo and Stitch era 1950s kind of outfit. So it's super cute. So the reason why I really enjoy Dapper Day over even just like regular days, and you know how much I love regular days at Disneyland. Um, Dapper Day is really fun and special to me because it's, I like seeing all the beautiful people dressed up in all the fun clothes that are also like very Disney bound themes. Like people don't just like dress up in like the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. They're dressed up in these outfits that are also inspired by Disney characters. So it's really fun to get to see the creativity of all the different people here and everyone's just in such a good mood and everyone is so beautiful. Like the number of times that we have been stopped here just for someone to say you're beautiful or we've stopped somebody else to be like you're beautiful has been, I couldn't even count it. It's so many times. Um, and like I was just earlier today, I was just standing around and someone was like, oh, you look really pretty where you're standing. Like, oh my God, like can I take a picture of you so that you can have it? And like everyone's just so lovely and amazing. Um, I think the other thing that's really fun about Dapper Day is, as of course you know, Disney was opened up in the 50s. So to see people in the park dressed in like 50s attire, it's this kind of weird opportunity to kind of get to live like we were there when the park was open and it's fun to have this kind of nostalgic reminiscent time thinking about Walt um, and even Walt himself was very like nostalgic so I don't know the dapper day thing the nostalgia it's so much fun it's <laughs> it's like an opportunity to like connect with Walt Disney a little bit better it's a great time if you or your fans ever have an opportunity to get out here it's really great and it's I think the thing that's most fun about it too is like Dapper Day started as kind of just like a fan thing but it has turned into a thing that Disney like really like doubles down into also because Disney they do it twice a year like just like the Dapper Day folks do it twice a year but as we've been here in the park like they have these like photo ops for Dapper Day stuff here today which is really really cool and exciting well buddy Alice um thanks for listening to this don't want to take up too much of your time today but you know happy Dapper Days bye and thank you, Lizzie. So what did we hear in Lizzie's account of Dapper Day? Uh, we heard that it's something that she looks forward to, that there's a real sense of community there, that the idea of Disneyland as a place is important to the Dapper Day as well, right? Like that there's interaction with the 1955 sort of Walt Disney era of of Disneyland and the kind of nostalgia that Walt had even then for his childhood era. Um, and there's there's a lot of just in general uh, enthusiasm and uh, a feeling that it's a really special event for these attendees. It's not just a day at Disneyland. Uh, it's better than a regular day at Disneyland. Right. It's a fancy day at Disneyland or a dapper day at Disneyland. It enhances where, the experience, right? Right. And Disney um, doesn't. And, and the thing about this uh, event and all events that we will kind of be talking about uh, in this episode is that Disneyland, the, the Disney company, does not recognize 
recognize Dapper Day as an official like day at Disneyland. It is entirely privately run. Uh, it is the convention hall space at the Disneyland Hotel is rented out by a private company that has its own version, its own merchandise and its own marketing and its own branding. But they would not exist without Disneyland. They are, uh, th this isn't just, oh, hey, let's all get together because we like, you know, vintage and retro stuff. We want to specifically recognize that this interest in our in vintage and retro things is intimately tied with our relationship to the Disneyland park, to the yeah. to the place. It's not as if there aren't groups that are interested in, uh, you know, it, it displaying a sort of retroness or um, reenacting a certain aesthetic. Um, Alice, you and I are, uh, we, we either know people or we do things like that, right? Right. We have costuming groups. We've gone to Comic-Con dressed up in, in costumes. We uh, I do medieval inter uh, medieval reenactments occasionally. But those are, are events and, and things that we participate in um, on their own in separate spaces. But this event is, is special because of its relationship with Disneyland. It's not just fandom. It's interactive fandom yeah and and what's so interesting about it is how uh how adjacent to official dapper day can feel right uh, th there are things at disneyland that happen only during dapper days there's uh some fancier merchandise uh there's some more presence of musicians um there's additional photo pass people so that there's lots of photos of the event uh there does seem to be a certain amount of awareness that Dapper Day brings in a certain crowd and that the crowd has certain tastes um, and those uh, tastes are catered to. Uh, not to mention, merchandise is sold and there's sort of an economic interaction as well with all of these uh, vendors in the convention center uh, kind of selling things that are Disney adjacent, sort of a cottage industry of Dapper Day apparel, right? Right. And those and those um, these mutual economies that Disney and Dapper Day kind of share with each other um, are, are beneficial to everybody. But Disney still does not officially, officially, officially sponsor this event. However, it does list the event on its website as uh, as a thing that exists. It's a it's on a, a page on the Disneyland website that says there are a handful of of meetup events that will occur on Disney property kind of as a like a heads up to visitors that maybe these weekends might be more crowded than other weekends but there are only three events listed on that I'm sure there are other meetups and other days that fans get together to go to Disneyland together but there are only three official ones and Dapper, Dapper Day is the first um a similar event to Dapper Day that's attached to fandom interactions at Disneyland uh, is one is is a now defunct one called Bats Day, which right uh, that's like a goth themed day. Uh, lots of wearing black and uh, bats and haunted spooky things and uh, top hats, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> and in a similar way to Dapper Day, Disney does um, go ahead and trot out merch that 
is uh, that would sell better on that day. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas stuff, villains themed merchandise and other such items. Just like on Dapper Day, they pull out their fancy dresses and their pretty hats and and and, um, and things like that. So on, but Bat's Day, on the other hand, is no longer um, is no longer doing offsite events and marketplace. Dapper Day is still has its marketplace set up in the convention hall, but Bat's Day is no longer doing that. They're just now a park meetup where fans of uh, of both of Disney and of that goth aesthetic get together just to attend the park together. There's, uh, yeah, no special prizes, no special photo shoots, anything like that. And um, I, I wonder if it's a an audience thing, or if it's a um, just a, a engagement thing that has caused one of these days to to flourish and the other one to kind of diminish. Uh, but Bat's Day sites on their site. Um, saying that since they can no longer do as many tax deductions and write-offs as it used to, they stopped making money. They've lost money. Dapper Day, on the other hand, has such a bigger audience that they are able to make up some of that money with the merchandise and private vendors that that's set up in the convention hall. And uh, just the, the contrast between those two days is pretty uh, significant. They're extremely different as far as target audience goes and aesthetic goes, but they had very similar goals in mind, which is getting a group of people together with one outside interest and one Disney interest and combining those things into a day at Disney. And I think that's what's so interesting about it is that the the idea of being interested in Disney as well as something else works at Disneyland as a sort of reason to go to Disneyland which is which is so like Disney feels like a very specific set of ideas and aesthetics and fandom but in reality Disneyland specifically is a land of contrast um <laughs> and I think that's part of what makes it such a flexible place for people to kind of express their own identity in right like yeah. No matter what genre you're a fan of, it is represented at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, from science fiction to fantasy to horror to adventure, uh, it's all there. And Disneyland is really unique in how well those things gel. To the point where Disneyland doesn't really uh, have one distinct identity, and yet somehow it does as this place made up of all the identities so it's really really interesting it is really interesting and and it has inspired so many different people to express their love of that in so many different ways um and i think another really big really good example of that uh would be how how people dress to go to Disneyland. It's you can just go to Disneyland in your regular clothes. I tend to wear just leggings and a t-shirt and a fanny pack, something comfortable for my day at the park. But a lot of people have turned even just the act of of dressing themselves in the morning before a day at the park into a form of fandom expression as well. It, and that manifests in two really, really distinct ways. Um, one of those is called Disney bounding, which is, uh, we've, we've mentioned this before, but it's kind of uh, the idea of adults are not allowed to wear costumes to Disneyland. Uh, you can't wear your pretty princess dress, buddy, if you wanted to. 
um, because you are an adult and fair the, enough. And you have to be a child to wear your pretty princess dress to the um, to the park. But if you wanted to dress as who's your favorite pretty princess? Uh, I, I'm a fan of many of the princesses, the Disney princesses, but Belle is perhaps my favorite uh, for her rebellious spirit and for her wanting more than this provincial life. Right, and she's and she's a uh, she's intelligent. She's a reader. We have a lot in common with Belle. She's my favorite too. Sure. So let's say you wanted to go to the park dressed as Belle, but you can't wear your princess dress. You might wear um, a blue shirt with a white. Uh, vest over top of it, reminiscent of the white apron that she wears. Um, you might wear yellow on yellow to 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 be like a yellow shirt and yellow pants to look like uh, her ball gown that she wears. You might put a flower in your hair. You might do something like that to be gesturally reminiscent of your favorite Disney character. And that is yeah. called Disney bounding. Yeah, Disney bounding is extremely popular. And I, I would say that it's kind of... Um... It's become its own sort of thing where there's uh, there's almost an expectation uh, where where uh, like a, a good day at Disneyland comes with uh, Disney bound that suits your needs for the day, but also expresses that you're like in on it. Uh, sort of a uh, a language of uh, attendance, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it becomes almost like a, a on Instagram later in the day, almost like a, a scavenger hunt in a sense. Who did you see in the park today? Who was dressed as your favorite characters? Did you recognize them on site? Was their Disney bound so good that you went, ah, oh, that has to be that character? Um, a very popular one would be to wear green pants and a light purple shirt. Uh, kind of like Ariel, or the green pants become your fins and your light purple shirt becomes the, the seashell top that she wears. Sure. That one's very common and it's a very recognizable color aesthetic that people really connect to and understand. And so when you see somebody that you know is Disney bound as Ariel, you can say to them, oh, you look great, you look like Ariel. And, and then everybody has connected on that level on Disney bounding. And yeah. Lizzie mentioned turning her Dapper Day costume into a sort of Disney bound. She was dressed gesturally as the ride of Indiana Jones. She dressed as a ride, not even a character, which is so exciting. Yeah, it kind of speaks to the um, like iconic nature of a lot of these characters and rides, right? Where you can uh, instantly spot the... Uh, the even the color scheme or even the the very basicest of iconography um just kind of placed around the character uh you don't even need the shape of the character if that makes sense you just kind of need right. the the palette of the character exactly and 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 it's so it's recognizable and it's it's recognizable but it's also very almost insular of this disney bound group this uh Relatively, I mean, it seems like a lot of people are doing it, but if you think about the percentage of people Disney bounding is probably very, very low. And the people that recognize the Disney bound and interact on Instagram with that costuming idea or this, you know, this imagery um, is very, is a very like niche community of people that all like recognize and understand each other. And so that becomes a way to separate this group of fans away from other group of fans, not necessarily in a clicky mean way, um, but 
in a, uh, if you recognize this, then we uh, have something in common and we can be friendly. Kind yeah, of, it's kind a, of it's way. a it's a way to communicate without even speaking. Uh, yes. And I, I think it's really interesting because like I can't think of another place where people do this outside of theme parks. Um, I'm sure that the Universal Parks have their Universal Bounding uh, equivalent, but really it's just Disneyland and the Disney parks that I've seen. Um, and I, I'm just so fascinated by it. Like nobody goes uh, to the Grand Canyon, for example, and dresses <laughs> as their favorite national park monument. Uh, <laughs> let's all go park bounding. Like I, I would love if that became a thing. Um, but it's not necessarily happening. And uh, that does make me sad, Alice, because I've got this great Golden Gate Bridge uh, National Park bound that I've really wanted to try out. Uh, <laughs> sure. Well, you know what? Next time I come up to the Bay Area, you and I can go visit the Golden Gate Bridge in our Golden Gate Bridge cosplay. And we'll just we'll start it. We'll make it a thing. <laughs> the thing is, both of us need to wear the cosplay at once because I'm, you know, one support and you're the other yes, support. I'm the other support. And, and we reach our arms out and we become the It's like the this whole, whole thing. It's, it's very, very intricate, actually. <laughs> and, yeah. And that, that would be great. And I would love to see that in, in real life. I would love for more places to have interactions and and true deep fans like this but it seems to only be able to express itself so visually in a place like Disneyland right and and there's also kind of the flip side though there's the the sort of we go from the healthy expression of having a good time at Disneyland and being in on the language the visual language and the characters all of that to kind of the, like you said, the nasty, clicky, uh, kind of unhealthy uh, fan interactions of like the Disney gangs, the social clubs. Sure. So not, and and we could start off by saying not all social clubs, um, (laughs) not not all of the Disney gangs are like this, but there is a, um, it's kind of the more hardcore version of a Disney bound uh, where these social clubs take imagery from uh, traditional like motorcycle gangs uh, with denim vests with a bunch of patches or, um, you know, bandanas around their heads. They 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 kind of take biker gang imagery, and they've uh, have created a a social club, a group of people that all hang out together. They all dress the same. They wear these vests over their clothes. They uh, identify themselves as being a member of this of this gang, and they just go and hang out at the park. They spend a day together. Uh, it's kind of a more punk rock way to show to show their fandom. It's. Um, and 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 it's and that's all well and good. That's a great. They, some of the the more popular, the larger gangs are like uh, the White Rabbits, or um, or Main Street Elite, or Mickey's Pink Ladies is another one, which is kind of like a like a like a grease themed pink ladies jacket that they sure, wear. Sure. Um, so some of these social clubs where they get together, they put on the same outfit and they have cute Disney themed names like the white rabbits or Mickey's pink ladies or uh, Disney's villains or main street elite. They, they get together and some of them will do big fundraisers and raise money for charity and they do wonderful things. But some of them have exhibited actual gang like behavior where there was a lawsuit going on between two of the gangs 
where one of them was accused of using like threatening techniques to offer protection for one of the gangs in enemy territory and and somebody threatened and blackmailed somebody else and it got completely out of hand and disney has fully separated themselves from saying this is not us we condemn this behavior um but they uh by being by tying themselves to the disney company they kind of forced disney to take a step back away from them and um and kind of disacknowledge them as fans and so uh, i think a lot of people have kind of been cutting back on some of the bigger social club behaviors um and marches and things like that uh but yeah, it, it that kind of shows like a darker side of this of this fandom that where where a group can get so tied up in the group that they uh, forget that what started their what started their club altogether was this place, the happiest place on earth, Disneyland, where they're supposed to just go to have fun and be together and show their fandom without causing harm to other people yeah and it's it's so it's so strange to me that it could get to that place but also it makes some weird sense because of how emotionally connected people are to disneyland specifically yeah Uh, like for you and i growing up it was like our local hangout but we got to remember that it's not a public place like it's a private business it's not your neighborhood park not really you can treat it that way for a price um (laughs) but you you must remember that it's it's not that and if you ever lose sight of that and start to treat it like you like it belongs to you that's when things get really i think um kind of dangerous um yeah and and that's that's kind of going to bring us to like this big question of like Disney does not have ownership of any of these kinds of fandom. Uh they do not officially endorse or sponsor Dapper Day. Now they do kind of interact on a business level with Dapper Day. They accept payment from Dapper Day to rent out like an exhibitors hall in the hotel. Right. And they have dabbled in making dapper clothing. Uh, yes. There's the new dress shop at Downtown Disney. There are shops in California Adventure and on Main Street that are like, wow, this is fancy clothes you could wear to Dapper Day. Yes. But they do not officially recognize or sponsor it. But what they do is this this targeted marketing towards groups they know are coming which I think is going to lead us into the biggest conversation of this episode, which is about rainbow capitalism and gay days at Disneyland. Right. So let's start off with a definition of rainbow capitalism. Rainbow capitalism is a targeted inclusion of the gay community, which has acquired sufficient purchasing power to generate a market focused specifically on them that's rainbow capitalism in general that's not disney that's not rainbow capitalism in disney this is the idea that the 
capitalist society of let we're just talking about America here. <laughs> that we're talking about America. American capitalism has realized that the gay community has uh, a has significant purchasing power. They have money to spend. And so rainbow capitalism rainbow capitalism is the idea of marketing specifically to that community, to the gay community with with um you know, specialized Pride Month merchandise or um, targeted market research that goes into finding out how they can get money from the gay community, essentially, is what right. what rainbow capitalism is. And, and this is not just uh, the gay community. This is the LGBTQ community writ large. Uh, sure. Kind of. uh, yes. Yeah, I was any, using the anybody. Wikipedia definition, which says right. gay community. But yes, the LGBT community as a whole. Right. Uh, and so where this where this becomes a uh, a question, perhaps even a problem, is that uh, in the past, there has been behavior by specific specifically capitalist structures uh including Disney and Disneyland and the Disney parks uh, that has been negatively focused against the LGBTQ community. And that's, and, and to hear in one decade that there is conflict with the LGBTQ community versus now the LGBTQ community is a target market under rainbow capitalism uh, does raise questions. It makes it a complex issue in the yes. first place. Right, because the history of Disney's relationship with the LGBTQ community at the parks is uh, is difficult at best. Um, at there best. was there was a a very famous lawsuit in the 1980s uh, about same-sex couples dancing to live music being presented in the park. Uh, Couples were thrown out of the park or asked to just stop dancing in front of people uh, as if their dancing was somehow uh, offensive to the rest of the, the crowd. And when when pressed on it and when sued, they settled and established then an anti-discrimination clause in their um, in their terms of service essentially uh, where they, they they said they would no longer discriminate based on uh, gender identity or um, sexual orientation but when in the early 1990s when a group in central Florida, decided to put together the very first gay day at Disneyland. They gathered a a very large group of members of the LGBTQ community and decided to attend Disneyland all or Disney, sorry, Disney world all together at the same time, wearing red shirts as a fun day at the park to, um, uh, as they, as they said in, uh, when they first established it, they are, as a way to um, reclaim normal joys of childhood lost to homophobia in their earlier years. It is a um, it, just a way to, for for the gay community to go out in in public and and celebrate their identity while also spending a fun day at the park. Um, there, when they first established this gay day at Disney World, Disney put up warning signs warning 
everyone else attending the parks that day that the gay community was uh, was attending the parks that day. And they issued refund tickets to people and they uh, gave out free white t-shirts to people who accidentally wore red and didn't want to be associated with the, um, with the gay day group. And the Disney hand in general handed it, handled it extremely poorly. And in fact, rather offensively um, within a couple of years of the first gay day, they changed their, strategy instead of warning signs they're just they put up welcoming signs saying we welcome the community but it still acts as a notification to anyone else attending people who might not want to um to be involved at disney on that day which is really problematic um and but ever since then ever since the early 1990s when uh, when the when gay day was established Disney employees have formed one of the very first LGBTQ um, employee groups. It's called League. And it's a, they have newsletters and they march in pride parades together and they have um, asserted their power within the, uh, within the parks as, as employees who have rights to change Disney's tune on the whole thing. And in recent years, Disney has uh, has even started trying to celebrate gay days with the gay community. So this sounds kind of like a narrative of progress, right? There's this idea that um, decades ago, uh, LGBTQ people faced a lot more discrimination than now. Victories have been won. Uh, for example, marriage equality has been one. But that said, there's still a lot of discrimination for LGBTQ people in the world. Uh, and I sometimes wonder if Disney specifically is doing the work to reclaim uh, some sense of goodwill, some good faith, if this is anything other than a uh, sort of callous like uncaring acknowledgement that money is to be made so that makes what was once apparently unacceptable on a corporate level more acceptable now we should say gay days has grown immensely um as of 2010 uh, approximately 150,000 lgbt people made their way to disneyland over the course of a six-day gathering I should also say that Disney still keeps this on the unofficial gatherings list, but that's kind of Disney's attitude towards lots of fan groups, right? If Disney were to start to endorse certain fan groups, they might co-opt the nature of those fan groups. So I'm not even sure that the organizers of Gay Days or even Dapper Days would want Disney to say, actually this is our thing now and we're in control of it um because i i sometimes worry that uh tying tying identity and celebrating identity through a corporate environment through a corporate event uh does open up ways for corporations to get away with things Um, by saying something with one hand and saying the opposite with another. 
Uh, Disney does seem to be doing the work, however. They uh, do seem to be doing the work, or they are a- attempting to start to do the work. Sure. Uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about, for example, what happened just this last June in Disneyland Paris. Uh, this year, in June 2019, Disneyland Paris hosted a Pride Parade. And unlike uh, previous attempts at uh, at rainbow-themed merchandise that Disney has had, they've, they've put out rainbow Mickey ears and pins that just say rainbow. They say nothing about pride. Um... They've done that in previous years. Unlike unlike that, this year, the Pride Parade in Disneyland Paris was explicitly referred to as a Pride Parade, took place during Pride Month, celebrated the LGBTQ community, and Disneyland and the Disney website has started releasing rainbow-themed merchandise that, that includes the word pride and uh, proceeds from, they donate a... a percentage of the proceeds from the Pride Thing merch to a group that, uh, to a charity that uh, helps out in uh, education for LGBTQ children. And, which is an incredible thing to do. Yes, that's it. And they, they, they do incredible work and it's an incredible organization for Disney to be giving to. And it's, uh, it is a symbol of Disney seeming to have changed their tune from just, ah, yes, rainbows for people who, quote, like rainbows, unquote, uh, to actually celebrating a community that they know is a significant part of their fan base. Um, The danger there is that Disney might be celebrating the LGBTQ community and is genuinely doing a a good job and doing the work and and trying their best, or it could just be, like we said before, some kind of just callous business decision. We have a group that will spend money, so let's make something for them to spend money on. We don't know. We have are not Bob Iger. We have not been in the minds of uh, people who make decisions like that. We don't know, but I think it would be dangerous to just automatically assume that a multi-billion-dollar corporation is acting strictly out of good faith. Yeah, there's there is the question of does Disney truly care about representation? Does Disney truly put forth um what do they put forth in action what they're putting forth in merchandise? Um it, as far as helping the LGBTQ community. Uh however, there do seem to be some moves such as the line of merch that uh, donates to the GLSEN and uh, for example, the pride parade in Paris, which kind of a shame that it's only in Paris, but that is something. Uh, and right. a, a parade in Paris doesn't necessarily make a whole bunch of money. Uh, no, I- it kind of happens, goes, goes into the backstage area, gets dismantled and then maybe comes back next year. And that's pretty good. Actually. Um, I could see where, you might make a trip specifically because there's a pride parade that day, but it doesn't feel like you have to buy it now because here it is for you. Does that make sense? Right. It's a parade. A parade is not merchandise. Uh, yeah. You are not. Um, and so 
Whereas merchandise is is something that people want and will buy, but also is a, a little bit of a, a, it's a cash grab. It's a way for Disney to make more money. A parade is just a celebration. It's a party that is basically Disney threw a, a party in Paris for their LGBTQ fans. And that is a, I think, in my opinion, a pretty significant step that Disney could be making. So between the parade and the merchandise that donates to the GLSN, Disney seems to be making pretty significant strides and working with their um, their employee group league. Disney, the company, has received a perfect score for LGBTQ equality in the workplace for the last 12 years in a row. And seems to be doing a really good job in park and with their employees. Uh, unfortunately, that does not translate to things like their films or their television shows, but you know, one step at a time, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, every, every step forward could be seen as a good one, but it does open up the question as to why more steps aren't being taken. Um, right. Because at the end of the day, they're not making LGBTQ representation a priority in their films. Um, you aren't going to see, probably, um, a gay character be the main focus of a film for a while. Uh, I can't think of anything that's in production right now. Uh, I mean, supporting characters in um, the new upcoming new Jungle Cruise movie, which uh, has... Uh, been discussed as as a problematic idea, but we'll see when it comes out. Right, we haven't um, seen this character at all yet, but but early reports seem to indicate that the character is very much a stereotype. Uh, sure, and, and there working was, on that. There was even the question of LeFou in the recent uh, Beauty and the Beast remake. Sure, uh, having uh, some Val- romantic oh, oh, yeah. romantic connotations added to his character for Gaston. But that also felt like a bit of a punchline. Uh, right. That didn't he really dances work. with that sweet boy at the end of the at the end of the the film. Sure. Um, and and so there, you know, there's some 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 gestural ideas there. Uh, Valkyrie from um, in the Marvel films has been uh, confirmed as bisexual and will be indicated as such in future Thor movies. So that's um, interest a very interesting idea. Um, but but there are still obviously bigger, more important steps to be made uh, as far as representation goes. Sure. So I guess the really big question is, when it comes to fandoms and communities such as the LGBTQ community, uh, choosing Disneyland as the place to express their fandom or their identity, is Disney giving as good as they're getting? Is it even fair to ask that a corporation do something outside of capitalism? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question and a really complicated answer. Uh, I think that it is difficult to, as you say, ask, ask a corporation to do anything other than capitalism because really... Disney as a private company and as private property in this in the city of Anaheim does not really owe anybody anything. We pay to attend the park. We pay to access the space that they have made. And so we don't really get to 
get to ask for much more than that. What they do is provide more than that because they know that that will get us to keep coming back. And it's a really cynical way of looking at Disneyland, but Disneyland could have wrapped up uh, being built in 1955 and gone, all right, we're done. Now, if people want to pay to come here, then they pay to come here. And But their expansion and their the changing of the rides and bringing in new parades and new characters and new attractions and shows and food and things like that are ways to get us to keep coming back. And we do have the purchasing power to say, uh, if the whole world said, nah, we're tired of Disneyland and stopped going, they would have to make changes to accommodate us. But we, they don't have to really do anything so long as people keep going. And so when they make changes and say add more represent representation for the LGBTQ community to the park, they are doing that not not necessarily just for our money, because I think they would still make money, but they're doing it because they want us to come back and they want us to be comfortable and to experience the park in uh, in a way that makes us happy. And yes, to come back and spend our money, but also because it, it does, they do seem to be making strides to, to make the place as uh, the happiest place on earth for everybody. And but they obviously are getting they are getting more than they are giving. That is that is true. They are putting in the uh, a little bit of effort to make a lot of people happy to spend a lot of money. And Disney continues to show record profits every single year. But they we say it's real. It's complicated. It's real. It's a difficult. That's a difficult answer. I know I probably just um, contradicted myself three times in one answer but i think you made i think you made it pretty clear though that what makes it so difficult this question surrounding disneyland is not necessarily the idea that money is spent everybody understands that part of the social contract yes i think what you makes attend it, you spend money right yeah i think what makes it so difficult is the very intense and very personal emotions and experiences that people who visit Disneyland have the thing that makes you Disney bound the thing that makes you feel like that's important and participatory and uh, understood and part of a community the thing that brings people every year for dapper days that makes the community feel like Disneyland is the place to express this love of a certain kind of fashion it's special and if Disney uses that to make money, it does feel a bit manipulative. It, it does feel a bit like, oh, they've realized that now they can make money off of this piece of our fandom. And I think what makes rainbow capitalism adjacent to this, though not directly related, because there's a difference between fandom and personal identity. Obviously. Right. But what makes it so connected to this idea is that the way that Disneyland has power to feel like a place where you are welcome and belong and you are represented there and there's something you love there is so important to why gay days at Disneyland was ever important. And 
to wonder if that can be co-opted by the corporate structure of Disneyland, I think is at the heart of rainbow capitalism, where you wonder if anything can be genuine if money is changing hands. And that's what makes it so tough. Yeah. Yes, this is a extremely <laughs> complicated topic that we've uh, that we've brought to this table. Um, but I'm glad that we're talking about it. Yeah, and I don't think we need to come to a conclusion today uh, as much as we just kind of felt like this was an important topic to add to the conversation. If theme parks are literature, then how are they working in terms of representation? Because we have our concerns for other kinds of literature and their kinds of representation. So like, how, exactly. how is Disneyland doing over there? Now we should say there, <laughs> there are some official pride events at other theme parks. Uh, Universal Studios in Hollywood has an officially sanctioned event called Pride is Universal uh, in partnership with Los Angeles Pride. Uh, a special nighttime event with DJs and dancing and other fun events. And it, and it doubles as a, a fundraiser for Christopher street West. It's um, it is a, it's an extension of pride month that takes place at uh, universal studios. So Disney isn't the only place that's doing this kind of the work with a capital W, uh, <laughs> but it's like at the same time, isn't Pride events sort of supposed to be non-corporate? Like, the the idea of Pride and corporations marching at it has been a source of controversy in the LGBTQ community for years, ever since companies started doing it. When they changed their logos to be a rainbow, and that is one of the only leaps they do, only the one of the only things they do for the month of June, the question becomes, is this enough? Is this the work? Can anybody really trust a corporation that's making these choices or is this a action of goodwill meant to get people into a place to spend money and then write some of it off as a donation <laughs> and that's but, that's the complicated part and then, and to add just another layer of complication a pride parade in say the city of los angeles really couldn't exist without corporate sponsors they don't earn money a parade like we just established doesn't earn money so they couldn't exist without corporate sponsorships without donations from from you know various companies or or large groups and and so i it, it becomes kind of a symbiotic relationship that um can't, that definitely seems to benefit a corporation more, but but it is hard to say that it's hard. more representation <laughs> is ever bad, right? <laughs> that that is the that is the crux of the problem, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> so, Alice, I feel like we've reached the end point of what we can currently bring to the table as far as a, a conversation about fandom interaction and uh, rainbow capitalism specifically at theme parks right but we obviously didn't tackle the depth and breadth of this uh, of this topic and we want to continue this conversation uh, with you, the listener, on the internet. That's right. Uh, Alice, you and I can always be tweeted at. We're always on Twitter. 
you can find me at buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm on Twitter and on Instagram, both at Alice White THP for those happy places. Yeah, and you can find the show at Happy Places Pod on Twitter. Yes. Uh, now, Alice, if people want to have longer conversations with us uh, that go beyond the 280 characters of Twitter, <laughs> they could always find us on Discord. That's true, our Discord server. If you want a link to join our Discord server where we have conversations such as uh, on park food or on uh, Knott's Berry Farm or roadside attractions or all of the above, you can get a link on our Twitter or if Twitter is not your thing, you can email us at thosehappyplaces at gmail.com. You can also join us on our Patreon. That's right. Uh, if you really appreciate what we do and you want to make sure that we keep doing what we do and you'd like to kick a little money our way to ensure that, uh, you could always join us at patreon.com slash those happy places where there's all sorts of different tiers of backer rewards and a lot of really fun stuff, including like uh, discord rolls and special flair on that site um, and a couple of bonus episodes that have not been released to the general public. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Alice, we should take a moment to thank our patron at the seven dollar or above level. Yes, big thanks to our very dear friend, Charles Gustine, who is a gentleman and a scholar, and we love him very dearly. So big thanks to your contribution, Charles. Uh, yeah, and you know what? We should take a moment to thank our good friend and artist, uh, V Silverman, for their fantastic work on our show art. Yes, the show art is beautiful. I feel like we can never thank V enough for the wonderful work that they have done on it. Speaking of art, we have brand new art featured on our Twitter accounts by the incomparable Lena Jean. Oh yeah, that art of us where we're just out doing our usual those happy places thing. Um, it, <laughs> it immediately transports me to like actual good times that we've had at theme parks thinking about them. It's so. Thank yes. you so much for that, uh, Lena. It's incredible that we have it. Yes, thank you, Lena. And thank you to everyone. And thank you to you, Buddy Duquesne, my <laughs> best friend of many years. Why are you saying it like you're just finding <laughs> that out about me, like reading it through friend, a dossier? My best friend of many years. Buddy, uh, it was recently my birthday. And as I, <laughs> as I have come to terms with my old age I look back on our years and years of friendship and I can never say often enough how much I appreciate you so thank you Alice thank you so much for being here with me through thick and through thin um, and for hosting this podcast with me you are my best friend aww Aw, happy You're birthday. my best friend. Thank you. <laughs> um, Alice, did you know that right now our audience is hearing our theme music? Our theme music is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin. That's right. You can find this and many other tracks on www.californiafeetwarmers.com. Now, I also want to tell you about the additional music I added to the episode. Tell me about that additional music, bud. It's all from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thank you, Kevin, for providing free, open, uh, Creative Commons music that we can use uh, here in our podcast to make it so darn atmospheric. It wouldn't be the same show without you. 
Yes, thank you, Kevin, and thank you, everyone. Yes, to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. 